0: Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a Schema Therapy podcast for therapists, with ISST-accredited Schema Therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on Schema Therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to What's the Schemata. What's the Schemata. Yes. Now, What's the Schemata, if you're a first-time listener, is a specialist... Uh, podcast for all things chemotherapy, and I'm here with Rob. Yep. How are you? Hey, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. You had a nice break. I did. I did. Yeah, yeah got got some sun, got some rays.
1: Yeah. How are you? I've been travelling yeah, up and down, yeah, yeah. Down uh, Western Australia, the kingdom of Western Australia, the kingdom
0: of Western Australia. So yeah, look, it's yeah. um summer here. So some of you might be um, in the southern part of the. Uh, the world. And here we are in summer. If you listen to this in the Northern um, hemisphere, we say it's a bit different, but yeah, we've had a bit of a summer break and we're ready back on deck for 2022. Yeah, And um, I guess, Rob, you know, both you and myself were talking um, throughout last year thinking, more about how we could kind of get new people on today and and, and just generally and just the content. And one thing that we thought about was, you know, really trying to reach out to researchers and people that want to sort of talk about their work. Absolutely.
1: We saw some work by, um, uh, you could say, an up-and-coming researcher, um, Oz, and I know Oz uh, is over there in Perth, so yeah. to, to me, it's all one, like a neighbourhood or something. You all know yeah, each other. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe not. But um, and we thought we'd ha- reach out to Oz because we saw particularly one of his papers um, that, that came out f- from some of his, his research to do with the YSQ and in particular, this idea of uh, the YSQ revised. And so um, we're all pretty interested in that. Yeah. Uh, in particular, I was really keen to, you know, with the idea of getting Oz on because, I think we just have to sort this out a little bit, like this with the YSQ. Yeah. Which one do we use?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's so many out using. there now. And-, and we're using this all the time. The YSQ, you know, a lot of you that are listening are clinicians that are, you know, sort of using this once a, a day or once a week. And, and it's good to have, you know, some up to date uh, thoughts around this as well. So we're here with um, today with, with Oz Yeltsin. Uh, Oz, um, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, how are you going? Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's a real privilege to uh, to be on this with you guys. So thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Have you ever listened to it before, Oz?
2: Yes, yes, I've listened, <laughs> listened to several of them. <laughs> it's very good. Okay, cool, man. That's so cool. <laughs> I so like, thought- you know, the, the casual way, and you guys, uh, you know, the casual approach, which is uh, which is really nice um, and, and obviously very informative. So, nice. so we, Keep it maybe we
0: can just introduce you a little bit. Um, so as you're a, a clinical psychologist and director of the Anima Health Network. And it sounds like that's a, a sort of a boutique clinical and neuropsychology service in Perth. The irony is that you're you're about 500 meters away from my office <laughs> now, which is kind of crazy. But the way that so we're the listeners, we're all on Zoom at the moment. just the way that we were recorded. So, and also you're the chair of the APS um, College for Clinical Psychologists in Perth, and um, it sounds like you've been publishing a lot in neuroscience and psychometrics and um you know pu- published a lot of material in terms of clinical management roles um and um the, the tail end of your phd so and, and yes. one it's a, part of the phd was a, a part of the, you know the the research on the ysq it sounds
2: yeah absolutely so that that basically is the journey uh, of my phd um which is uh, you know really investigating the you know the psychometric properties of the, the the young schema questionnaire and how well it you know is clinically applicable um, when we, you know, when we look at the, you know, twelve hundred different versions of it um, <laughs> across um, across the many years that it's been, you know, uh, that it's been developed, and so um, yeah, fell in yeah fell in love with the, uh, you know, with the clinical aspects of um, of schema therapy, and then of course the the, the measurement of schemas. Yes. Uh, Are you a schema
1: therapist yourself, um, Oz? I mean, do, do, you, do you practice a lot with schema? Is it one of your modalities?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely I do. Um, I like to incorporate uh, schema therapy uh, because, uh, well, for for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons is fantastic language for patients uh, to Mm -hmm. be able to put to their experience and what they're having. And once they start to gain insight into, um, you know, what that feels like. In their day-to-day lives when their schemas get activated etc they know exactly what's going on mm. um, and then that is you know a real uh, mm. opportunity to uh, you know get them to start doing more adaptive behaviors mm. and living more adaptively rather than you know sort of surrendering to uh, to this it
1: does have a nice language doesn't it often and oftentimes clients really go with that mm. You know, when you look at them and you say you know what would you say if i put it to you that you know you've got this side of you that Da, 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 and they just look at you and they go, Yeah, yeah, it really then, uh, resonates yeah.
2: definitely. Yeah, and so I mean, I use a lot of EMDR, uh, schema yeah. therapy. Um, I f- fundamentally operate from a psychodynamic, um, uh, uh treatment mode, but incorporate uh, a bunch of other things on top of that. So, whatever is sort of clinically indicated for that
1: particular person, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was, um, when I first read your paper, actually, um, the thing that stuck out for me was that you, to, or to my knowledge, it's the first time um, someone did a, a RASH model analysis of the YSQ. Yeah? Is that correct? Yes. So I'm aware that that RASH is... We won't go too much. I'm sure our listeners aren't too interested to hear about the, uh, how to do a RASH uh, mm. model. <laughs> but, um, and maybe even you don't want to talk about it anymore, Oz. <laughs> but, um, you know, is it is it true that... Um, what, what I understand about RASH models is it is, is, is sort of represents something of a, of a gold standard now of um, psychometrics in, in putting together or uh, analysing um, the psychometrics on, on these type, types of measures. Um, can you speak to that and maybe pivot into, you know, how you got into this research topic?
2: Yeah, sure, sure, definitely. Um, <clears throat> like RASH, uh, well, it's not a new... Um, uh, statistic but, uh, or statistical approach, but the way that we've been able to analyse data from that model has been difficult because we haven't had the, I guess, uh, technology to be able to um, do it uh, in a in an efficient way. Mm. Uh, now there's programs like, you know, RUM 2030, which is, you know, obviously, you know, item response theory, rash analysis, and we can actually start to apply RASH modelling to, um, uh, to, you know, question of development and analysis, which is just excellent. So, um, you know, there are multiple, I guess, advantages of RASH over more classic test theory um, analyses like factor analysis, et cetera, Mm -hmm. Um, because when you have sort of factor analysis, there are, you know, so many different ways you can make the data uh make the model fit the data so to speak Mm. um you know what type of rotations you use and all Mm. that type of stuff and you know what you find is that you know items uh that are highly correlated kind of sit together um and that's fine but it can also cause problems because you know um high intercorrelations can cause artificial inflating of reliability Mm. um and Rendering some items redundant. So, Mm. I actually wrote a little example of this. So, for example, in the abandonment schema, you've got I find myself clinging to people I'm close to because I'm afraid they'll leave me. And I worry that people I feel close to will leave or abandon me, uh, asking exactly the same thing. But because Mm. they correlate really highly, they're going to be grouped together. Yeah. um, but essentially are redundant, and so rash is it. A- so this
1: actually means that you'd you'd become more efficient. You you could get rid of some items.
2: Oh, absolutely, and that's right? what we That did are
1: there. super superfluous to what you're doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and that's what we did in the in the in the last rash paper that we just did. Um, so
1: the point is really this is this is an improvement. Uh, you know, being able to apply the rash modeling approach to the something like the YSQ should, in theory, produce a more efficient, better measure.
2: Yes. Yes, and so that's
0: why yeah, I guess you're doing it, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
0: so you know, do the, you want to just back up just a bit and just just yeah. tell us what what so you you why you d- you know decided to to you know approach you know the, the YSQ and maybe give us a background because obviously some of the listeners yeah might how did you come up with the idea were you yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, and what, so what the research uh, is about yeah like uh, well when I was doing my um, clinical masters. Uh, Chris Lee was one of the um uh, te- well, he's the teacher of the adult psychopathology unit and uh, that unit you know, was heavily focused on uh, schema therapy and that mm-hmm. really got me interested in schema therapy which was uh, fantastic and we were very i think fortunate to have this you know really diverse um, is that experience. right
1: is the adult psychopathology unit uh, at that university it's heavily schemed.
2: well it it's, was when yeah. when i was uh, when i was in, so, Pretty so sure it's
1: changed. Chris now, Lee had schemed it. A,
2: he had <laughs> schemed it and, and, and had done for some time. Um, mm, and yeah. then I think things changed after that. But um, no. so we were really fortunate to have that. Um, and I was like, well, "Well, this is actually really cool. I want to um, apply this." Um, and then you know, secondary to that, <clears throat> another person, like uh, another supervisor, sort of thing, having a. Um, uh, got me to start thinking about how we can assess uh, differently, how we can assess questionnaires differently in the terms of development and evaluation, and we introduced the idea of RASH, and I was like, well, I go, well, why don't we see how well we can apply or whether we can apply the RASH model to the Young Schema questionnaire, and that was essentially my master's thesis. So I just did a preliminary sort of study on um, how that um, how that applied, and that then was like well okay now it's time to do a PhD on this because there is a ton of things that we can continue yeah. to work on well, a number of shortfalls of.
0: I was gonna ask you then so for you what would you see as the, the reasons that the YSQ Q would, would need to be improved I mean we've obviously seen things seen things in clinical practice and we're thinking we're mm, not mm. sure about that but is there anything that stands out for you that why the YSQ might need it to be improved
2: um yeah there's there are several uh several things that, that, that led me to think that um, I guess one of the things was and this there's there's literally no studies on the factors factor structure of the long form Ysq yep. before the one that I did, <laughs> um, uh, a couple of years ago, um, except for an Italian study which, uh, which focused mainly on the, uh, on, the, on the scheme of domains. And so, um, so that was one of the things. And if you're going to derive um, a short form of a long form, you kind of need to start with the long form and then, you know, work your way, yeah. work your way from there. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, and this might uh, surprise you, because it certainly surprised me, there's no published paper that actually I can find that shows how the items from the YSQ short form were derived.
0: Yeah, right. So
2: the only reference is that it was created by using the five highest correlating items from the long form. However, Mm -hmm. there's no indication of the type, the size of the sample, which country was undertaken Yeah, it, right. So cetera, it was looking at the vibe.
0: It was the vibe of the questions maybe possibly or, you know, maybe yeah, some. Well, the well, there's no,
2: well, they didn't publish this. Whoever mm. created
1: the short form yeah. did, did did that, but they didn't mm. publish publish it. the, yeah, the well, coefficients, we etc.
0: Yeah, there's no science behind the discussion. Uh, well, it's unpublished at least. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, so
2: I'm pretty sure it was Young and uh, Scott Kellogg actually Mm-hmm. Jeffrey ons Scott. yeah so they they were the ones but I couldn't find a published study on this anywhere and that was shocking to me <laughs> because mm-hmm. the, it's used so widely the short form mm-hmm.
1: um
2: So it means there was a know, kind
1: of step that was missed between yeah. the, the the long form and the generation of the short form mm-hmm. there's a bunch of studies in the short form but there was some kind of a developmental step that you picked up that, that seems to be missed in the literature
2: yes a, a critical one at that. Um, so how do we actually know that these are indeed the best items to be using um, and as you've said you know there's you know lots of papers that have looked at the factor structure or the construct and predictive validity of the, the short form um, but they're all done on translated versions they use large non-clinical samples um, and a bunch of them have highlighted you know significant issues with uh, cross-loading items and model fit etc yet it continues to be used um, even after they've you know, clearly uh, noted in the in 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 the literature that there's problems with it. So,
1: it's all we've um, got in a way. Yeah. And so, I think I mean I think it's all we've got. Like we we in schema, you kind of need need this measure, and it's really helpful like to have a measure. And from my perspective, 232 questions, right? I'll ask Chris. Hmm. Uh, that's yep. too many questions hmm. for most Absolutely. of our clients. Yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine, in my head, I just figure that they're sitting around in a room and they go, you know what, let's just make it 90. And then they, you know, uh, they did some analysis to get to that, but the motivation would have been there to, to cut this thing
0: down.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So really
0: you're looking at understanding how the, the questionnaire functions from a, a drop down from the long form to the, to the short form and looking at what particular items are going to be really meaningful that are loading on mm. that concept. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. And not only, um, not only for, you know, internal consistency, etc., but also um, getting the most statistically appropriate and clinically appropriate items to include. Yeah, sure. And I think that's, that's really important. So you can have, you know, really, uh, nice sounding items, but if, mm. you know, if they're statistically not sound, then um, then then we're going to have problems.
1: So really we're looking at this as a piece of work. It's like you've gone back and done this work that maybe should have been done before, but you've gone back and said, well, we're going to start back. We're not going to go with the short form because it sort of seemed a bit random to land on those. Mm. We're going to go back to the long form and we're going to try to make that as efficient as possible and see, and now you ended up with, a, if I'm not wrong, 118 items?
2: 116.
1: 116 items. Okay,
2: so exactly half. That's a pretty good yeah, results. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, could you say a few things about about why don't we just get into that research now, uh, from your perspective? Like, what what are some of the key takeaways um, from from that research?
2: Hmm. Um, so,
1: I mean, I could say what mine was, and I, I'd love to hear if oh, you agree. I think we yeah, should all use. The, I think we should use the measure. I think this becomes the measure that we should all be using, no?
2: Uh, I am going to agree with you on that. <laughs> I, <laughs> only, only, because, only because of the, um, uh, the fact that, you know, we really started from the beginning. You know, we started right from the beginning using the long form. We had a very large heterogeneous clinical sample and a smaller non-clinical. So it was like 800-plus people that have filled out the long form. And so we've got this fantastic data set that has uh, uh, really captured different clinical groups and, uh, and using the long form. So we were able to just like actually get um, yeah, start from scratch. So, um, and that's what we did in that first paper. Second one, we did an item by item analysis using rash analysis on all 232 items with, again, a very large sample of people. Um, and then we uh derived the best fitting items um and, and as i said you know resulted in exactly like half of the items being retained um
1: is this is this what others are pushing i know you was um, supervised by chris lee in the mm-hmm. research is he pushing this too the, for, for this to be recognized as, as the main ysq now clinically
2: um yeah well I, I, I'm, I'm certain that uh on you know in his trainings et cetera he will use this version now um as opposed yeah. Um, as opposed to the other two. Uh, So uh, I guess in terms of, I mean, really, I can't speak exactly for him and what, you know, what what, what position is on stuff like that. Um, But, you know, the main take is we removed everything that was unnecessary um, and have made it more streamlined, statistically and clinically sound uh, measure. And, you know, in the process, we then obviously had... um, uh, you know, a few of the schemas, yeah. a couple of them. And
1: certainly from a research perspective, I think if I was going to run a new study on the YSQR, I would be using this measure rather than to redo more of the, of the short form or, uh, you know, I think, so for the researchers out there, I would be more interested yeah. in, in this measure going forward. So, but then also, yeah, I guess the, the question is clinical. you know, for, for the clinicians, hmm. do we pivot to this one? Uh, I couldn't see a reason why not, hmm if we've ended up with a more efficient, uh, yeah. more valid, more reliable measure. Mm.
0: Um, mm. Yeah. So on top of the measure itself, um, you know, it seemed like there was a couple of other sort of takeaways in regards to the actual schema mm. kind of um, concept. So, so I noticed that, you know, um, there were the two you know larger kind of components were splitting the emotional inhibition schema mm. into two, uh, concepts so and maybe we could talk about that and also splitting mm-hmm. up the punitiveness schema into mm-hmm. sort of sub scheme would you call them sub schemas or are we can i would call, call them, them as independent schemers. yeah yeah cool okay yeah, so can you maybe ta- talk a bit more about that you know maybe maybe let's start with the emotional inhibition element what did you notice in terms of the you know the what was the data sort of telling
2: you yeah, like um, so, we found that they are actually uh, very independent constructs. Um, you know, as we're doing the rational analysis, you know, that also does a confirmatory fact, like confirmatory factor analysis in there, and um, it just kind of you know re reconfirmed that there were uh, there were separate factors in the emotional inhibition and the punitive schema. So, if we look at um, the emotional constriction, for example, that was found also in a study by Schmidt. Early on, early, early on in the piece, and and also by Lee, um, and found that you know the you know emotional constriction and fear of losing control were in fact kind of two separate constructs, um, and that's what we found in our uh, first paper as well. So Can you say that
0: the, the classic, so that you're sort of talking about the two different factors. Been one being about constriction about emotion, mm-hmm. another one about like, like if I have emotion, bad things will happen. I'll lose control. Would you kind of think that? the classical definition of what a, what the emotional, uh, inhibition schema is, would it more low to the, the former, to the, you know, the constriction?
2: Of, well, of, I mean, I'll, I'll make a comment on that just now, but the, the over like emotional constriction is really like an over control and a disconnection from emotion. So, yeah. you know, the core beliefs or thoughts might you know sound something like showing emotion is weak or embarrassing. You know, it's strong. Uh, it's strong mm-hmm. to be unemotional, you know, mm-hmm. emotions aren't important. And, you know, the general theme of, you know, excessive over control of emotions due to feelings of shame and embarrassment of all emotions, including ones. Mm. Um, and so, similar to the emotional inhibition construct in the original formulation, um, you know, you might find that people growing up in families where spontaneous emotions were frowned upon or ridiculed, um, it was just the safest option to learn to be robotic, appear unemotional to other people. Um, and this also plays out, you know, in in schools, being bullied, etc. Mm. Mm. Um, and you know, really closely linked with defectiveness and the, the you know, emotional yeah. deprivation schema. So yep. you might. You might see uh, the emotional constriction presenting in social anxiety, Mm. people PTSD, uh, schizotypal, and you know. Because if I show
1: emotions, if I show emotions, then I'm, and then and then enter the defectiveness schema or.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of, I guess coming from that, that that, that would kind of like highly, highly correlated. Because it's a
1: conditional schema, also, right? We think about um emotional division as a as a more of a conditional schema. So mm. there can be other schemas underneath that as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is this is kind of like a like an over an over control or mm. an inhibition due to shame and embarrassment. Um, but another point here as well is like, you know, there's it might present in other types of uh, presentations too, like, you know, in schizophrenia, um, you know, it's closely linked with like alexithymia as well. Oh, hmm. So you might have patients like that, uh, anhedonia, obviously, like depression. Yeah. Um, and the, the, there's one other thing, which is like the cultural factors to consider as well. So, for yep. example, like in Asian countries, stoicism and maintaining composure are traits that are more highly valued than emotional Um uh, expression and, and so yeah. you're going to have more of that in that sort of group. Um, so, I, sorry,
0: go on. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't. I guess sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to load on the shame element. It could be just I don't know what to do. It's awkward. There's no yeah. awkwardness because there's no. Kind of um yeah modeling of expression so it's kind of like uh what do i do now kind of thing rather mm. than just being free and easy and and spontaneous spontaneous. but the second one was more different it was slightly mm. different angles so second you know yeah, emotional yes
2: there's a fear of losing control you know the yeah. core beliefs around that might be you know kind of like i can't control myself i'll be overwhelmed by my emotions mm. you know if i show how i feel i'll ruin everything yeah, my emotions lead to damage, and so, yeah. you know, the, the general theme is that there's a the belief that a dire consequences will result from failing to maintain control of emotions. So there can yeah. be some
1: link to vulnerability to harm, no? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's yep. almost like
1: if I if I don't control my emotions, something bad would happen. Things- mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think you know in terms of like uh, clinical presentation you might find that people with a fear of losing control uh, schema have more persistent preoccupations with it, with their own internal processes. So for example, in panic disorder or anxiety disorders, or um, you might find in OCD uh, where people have violent and intrusive thoughts about harming other people, and there's a fear that they may enact them. Mm. And so there's a, there's a there's a there's a real there's fear, the fear of the of the
1: consequences of yeah. emotions. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um you could also, I guess you'd see this in you know, anorexia and other eating disorders. Um mm. and you know, as you mentioned about sort of the vulnerability to harm, there's certainly a hypervigilance element to it. So um, you know, hyper hypervigilance to threat, and you might see that in BPD or other cluster B personality disorders and so- PTSD as well.
1: To really simplify things, the first version of you know of this kind of a constricting emotion mm. inhibition is about emotions are somewhat shame they're shameful mm. they need to be or constricted. Awkward. yeah awkwardness uh, they shouldn't be expressed because maybe it's something about me or it, it, it's something to be ashamed of mm. uh, versus the second type is emotions are scary. Yeah, they're yeah. volatile. I will, scary. Lose, bro. I
2: will lose control of my yeah. emotions um, if uh if I don't keep them in check. Mm.
0: And then,
1: then that's scary. And then bad some scary consequence. Mm.
2: Yes. yes.
0: Bad things will happen. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
1: So then if we think about the back child backgrounds, mm. if I just to typify things, mm. you might have you know, typical thing for the first version might be a parent who shames a kid for crying or for having emotions or something. Mm-hmm. And a a background for the second one could be something like um, just very volatile parents, very angry, volatile, Mm. chaotic, I don't know, something like this?
2: Yeah, and sort of like, I guess, coming from a more like anxious predisposition. Mm. And so, you know, more of an anxious, Mm. dysregulated presentation early on in the piece. So, um, you know, if you're more prone to anxiety, then it's likely that, you know, you're going, and you have anxious parents, and mm. it's more likely that you're
0: going to probably. Right. So have- you, might have, you might have like a, a sort of a, a temperament where you're sort of anxious and then you've got mm. anxiety around that. And they're reinforcing this idea that you need to kind of control your anxiety or keep it mm. together. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And exactly. what about, and, and also, I guess the other component was the punitiveness yeah. um, schema. So tell us more about that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the
2: punitive, I guess the differences between these two, are, I would conceptualise them as internalisation and externalisation. So, you know, punitiveness to self, you know, the core beliefs or thoughts around that might be like, it's my fault, I should have, mm-hmm. dot, 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 um, I deserve to be punished. Um, and, you yeah, know, it really represents a self-directed kind of hypercriticalness and punishment for the person's own mistakes, sufferings or imper- imperfections. And... Mm-hmm. So individuals with a punitiveness to self-schema, you know, would respond hypocritically to their own mistakes. Yeah. And this internalised process might not necessarily be reflected in uh, their expectations of other people, yeah. um, thereby to some degree kind of preserving interpersonal relationships.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, highly linked, like with unrelenting standards, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see this in PTSD, depression, obviously, um, and, uh, and and eating disorders too. Um, in contrast, the punitiveness to other schema, core beliefs might be around other people should dot, dot, mm. dot. It's not my fault. Other people deserve to be punished. Why can't other people just do the right thing? Mm. And the belief that others should be harshly punished and mm. suffer consequences for indiscretions and mistakes that they may make. I'm wondering if
0: there's a, a temperament factor. Don't you think, you know, in terms of externalizing and internalizing temperament, you know, mm. where you have like an internalizing temperament as a kid and you start to use the, or the, the punitiveness towards yourself versus an externalizing, angry child kind of it's your fault, you know, you're the problem. And then, you know, we would, I think uh, Rob and me have talked in the past about the trajectory of sort of more antisocial overcompensation sort of modes as we're talking, mm. you know. I wonder if there's something in that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, mm. And when we, I guess, think about uh, the overt punishment and criticisms of other people, then essentially these people are alienating themselves from relationships, which is in mm. contrast to the first. And you might see that in, you know, BPD or narcissistic. Yeah. Or social PDs there's an external locus of control. Yeah, so yeah. Over, uh, overcompensation almost, perhaps, to defective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, people with impaired autonomy, um, mm-hmm. it's everyone else's responsibility do mm-hmm. the right thing. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, you might see that. You know, quite
1: so nice. looking at it a, like a, this YSQ, you're seeing someone with um, internalized punitiveness, you're going to start to think about like a punitive critic, right? Like mm. a punitive self-critic. If they're low on internalized punitiveness but high on externalized punitiveness, you're going to look at some sort of coping modes of overcompensation. You're going to start to think about, you know, is there an aggrandizing element? Is there maybe some overcontroller or some mode which is, like, happy to to put shit on others, Mm. uh, to to blame others but to take no responsibility?
2: Mm, Yeah, great, great comment. Great comment. And I guess, like, just to add a little bit to that, you might see people with, you know, kind of limited insight as well, like when when um, they have this sort of externalizing, um, because you know, like it could be that it is an overcompensation for defectiveness, but the defectiveness that they feel uh, might be intolerable, and so mm. it would be about helping them to.
1: It's an interesting one, mm. as particularly because you think you might have low low and internal, high and external, low, you know, high external, low internal, and you got you have it when they're. They're, they're, well, when people are low on both, or people are high on both. So I imagine they're related, also. So sometimes you see people who they hate themselves and they blame, them, but they blame other people just as much. Mm. Um, so is that a, a, they must be related also? Oh
2: uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, definitely they would be related, but um, I guess
1: not strong enough to say they're the same thing.
2: Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, yeah. it, it came out.
1: And clinically separately. and clinically i don't
0: really see that, that as much you don't i don't see people angry at themselves and and angry equally at others and usually it's yeah you know, either one or the other i mean i don't know about you but
2: you well know. you might see for example like in in a, a you know in a borderline patient mm. so there's a real harsh punishing component to mm. their their experience of themselves mm. but if you um, if you uh, are late for an hour, you say something wrong in session or then, then that sort of, you know, um, punitiveness to other people. Uh, then yeah. Why are you sure. being yeah.
1: punished? If I get yeah. punished, why are you being punished? I'm
2: punishing you now. Like, yeah. how dare you? Um, uh, you need to do this. You need to visit that. And of course, now. a lot of
1: our depressive clients, they, they do the opposite, I guess. They would only punish themselves yeah. and no mm-hmm. one else is yeah. blamed yeah. for anything. And then you got more of the overcompensating, maybe more the NPD, which would never take any punishment and blame everybody. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: But it seems like what you were saying there was as well that might come from like an angry child mode. So it's interesting that this the, the schemas could come from a different place. It could come from more of an overcompensation mode. It could sit in there if you're looking at the mode model, but it also could be for an angry child going, No, you're you, you know, I hate you, you're the worst. And it's more of a childlike punishment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
2: Yeah, no, it's a great point. Yeah, Yeah, does that does that kind of does that um,
1: make sense for? Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely. Um, The uh, research also suggests you might there might be something going on with the enmeshment schema. Could you say a few words about that?
2: Yeah, uh, look, the that was that was what we found essentially was that uh, people were really under endorsing that item uh, that, that that schema um so we saw you know a, a quite a large clinical group um not mm. and no one had investment in a, yeah not behaving in a way that you would anticipate they would mm. um for uh, a clinical presentation <laughs> and so um uh, you know one explanation might be that the uh, items throughout the subscale don't adequately capture the varying degrees of enmeshment. Um, perhaps the you know the perceived the, the, the gaps between the item thresholds um, uh, are not sensitive enough to I guess detect small changes in severity um so so
1: you're saying that it didn't really come out as a valid schema
2: um it was I mean it's as it was okay it wasn't you know mm. uh, I think it was pointless five, seven, I, I can't remember exactly, but um, you know, what it wasn't it wasn't the worst, but it certainly wasn't um, you know, winning any medals, I guess.
0: Could that be could that be I, like that issue? I was thinking when I was reading the paper as well. If someone did, did have the enmeshment schema, would mm. that, I mean, imagine that would be around not having a sound sense of self and kind of looking over your shoulder going, is this the right, is this the way I should be responding? I wonder if that in itself can affect the endorsement. So if you're mm-hmm. kind of enmeshed with someone else and you feel guilty about even saying mm-hmm. these about your parents or these sorts of things, then that might kind of affect your your sort of identification. With that- oh,
2: that's an excellent point, actually. Yeah, that's an excellent point. If if, if people are um, are in fact enmeshed and they are very very protective of yeah. you know, their caregivers, then they would uh, I suppose that would represent in the way that they respond. Yeah, um, yeah so that's a great right.
1: right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, oh, so I I, I in other saying, words, it might make them feel guilty to yeah. acknowledge their investment. Yeah. It's not my parents' fault. It's, you know, it's all me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Look, So, yeah, as we said at the start, like, um, there were probably hundreds, uh, often if not thousands, of people using the YSQ. Um, and obviously, it's, a, it's not necessarily to do with your research, the question really, it's more about just, uh, just generally, obviously, you've given this out to a lot of people and and I guess, you know, it'd be interested to see your kind of, We we always get questions like when do you give the YSQ mm. or like what kind of other, apart from the information on the document, what do you suggest to the to the client that would help get the best, in, you know, sort of um, snapshot? Have you, I mean, obviously you're giving this to 850 people, <laughs> you know. Is there anything that you, you, you know, any suggestions around that for the average clinician out there that is using it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll probably speak more to, you know, how I might apply that in, um, in you know, my own clinical practice. Yeah, yeah, sure. And yeah, exactly. So really it's about clinical judgment at the end of the day. Like that's mm. um, that's the most important thing. Um, so, for example, if the patient appears to have, you know, relatively good insight during the intake assessment and there's, you know, strong scheme of things, you could... Uh, you yeah, feel confident to ask them to fill that in between sessions before they come in, uh, sorry, between between the intake assessments, um, but might not necessarily introduce schema therapy or, uh, until later on. But for somebody who is maybe highly dissociative or anxious, um, you might regulate them, their emotion, help them regulate their emotions first before you introduce Scheme is there uh, yeah. later on, and so um, just one second.
1: Oh, you mean, or even the questionnaire? Oh, the questionnaire. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and and also, I mean, that that would also determine be determined by the level of insight that the person has. So mm. you know, if you're if you're in there and they uh, clearly have limited insight into their own internal workings, mm. then giving the questionnaire at that point is going to be futile. It's not going to give mm. you any good information because the responses are not going to be um, and it, and it seems useful.
0: It seems quite state kind of, um, you know, de- uh, in- impacted. So if someone's in a, in a particular state at the time, well, I mean, you know, I'm always banging on to people saying, you know, over the last 12 months, that's not this week or, you know, the last mm. couple of days, you, know, you know, Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, the other thing I do is, like, I, I, I mentioned that, you know, I'm going to sell, I can send you a questionnaire. Some of the questions might be a little bit triggering, um, but the way to answer them is just to go off your first impulse when you read mm. it. So don't yep. think about the questions too much. Just go immediately off that first feeling. It yeah. was the feeling that's associated yeah. with that. yeah. Um, and, um, and in that way, it's, uh, you know, it allows them to finish the questionnaire much quicker because they're mm. able to just be a, rather just rather than visualizing.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny when you get those sorts of um people that sort of um choose their own endings. Like it's they they have like five, you know, you know, one, two, three, four, and whatever, and they put like five point three on a Wednesday, but <laughs> yeah. not on a Tuesday. You know, they and that's often something I don't know if you had much of that come out. I mean with
1: my cousin, it's like this, and with my partner it's like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's often
0: yeah. Right, you know I really writing see that all as over. the over controller. Yeah, yeah. It says something. I mean
1: that's the other thing. I always see the YSQI try to think about that there's a part of them filling it out. Mm. I'm trying to remember that, right? So what's the part of them that's going to fill this out?
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. I so talked about state-based, right? So if, if they're filling it out and they're in a place where they're questioning wh- whether they even want to be in therapy and they want to run away, and you, you're going to get results that look like that, right?
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, essentially the YSQ should be less affected by state um, because that's kind of more uh, in line with um, uh, the, uh, excuse me.
1: Well, that's more in line with the SMI. Which yes, yes, so that's, yeah. that's,
2: yes. Um, uh, as opposed to traits, which is, you know, you should have mm. consistent results over time when you're administering this because it's obviously trying to capture the you know, yeah. the constructs, etc. Um, but you're absolutely right. It, it is, uh, it still is influenced by, you know, someone's feeling great and, <laughs> you know, they're, they're yeah. not going to necessarily endorse um, accurately, you know. Oh, exactly. Or if you're in an
1: aggrandizer mode.
2: Yeah, and you
1: say, oh, you know, I, deep down, I feel like I'm a defective human.
2: Mm, no, that's not gonna right? happen. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I would be looking to see whether this person is an intellectualizer, whether their presentation is congruent um, with how they, um, you know, uh, how they might, I might answer, expect them to answer a questionnaire, and um, and just go with what's kind of clinically indicated. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I know some of the research prior to the study with the RASH um, factor, the RASH analysis. Um, I think the paper you had in 2020, you know, was looking at uh, a reconceptualization of the domain structure of schemas. Hmm. Can you say a little bit about this? You know, you know maybe what does the research um, suggest to be the most accurate domain structure? Is it, is it important? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think?
2: Um, no, that's that's a great question. Um, in our in our first uh, that for the factor structure paper, we did find that um, four domains were more appropriate, but we found a domain, I guess, that was not really present in the literature anywhere else, and that was the um, emotion dysregulation domain. Okay. And. We then grouped, like the disconnection domain is very consistent, very robust um, across yeah. all the studies. You, 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 know, you your top five are all consistently coming up with that. Um, impaired autonomy and underdeveloped sense of self, <laughs> excuse me, and then the over-control. And some of these have been found in other studies. Um, I think back. found That
1: over-vigilance in- and inhibition. Yeah. Uh,
0: is that nice it
1: is that one? Is
2: it over-vigilance and inhibition? Um,
1: the third one? No, Or have you relabeled it?
2: Yeah, well, we ba- basically we did... Um, let me... What, just give me one second. Um, so we labelled them emotion dysregulation. We uh, then had disconnection and then impaired autonomy slash underdeveloped sent- like self. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was excessive responsibility slash over-control.
1: Ah, ah okay.
2: Yep, yep, um, yep. Yeah, and what we found was the kind of emotion dysregulation uh, domain contained schemas like entitlement, punitiveness to other people, fear of losing control, emotional constriction, punitiveness to negativity. Now, this is different though,
1: because uh, if I'm not wrong, this is a sample of borderline clients?
2: This is a sample of um, uh, borderline and PTSD And alcohol and substance use.
1: Okay, so this was a very clinical sample,
2: and and also that this this also included a a smaller non-clinical sample as well. So basically, the whole sample was eight hundred and yeah. Okay,
1: and so they they got that dysregulated that dysregulation domain, including the normal sample.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, obviously, the clinical sample was much larger. It was like five hundred and seventy or eighty. Because there's
1: another four domain structure which is slightly different uh mm. right where they don't have this emotion dysregulation i wondered if it was the sample that was creating that
2: yeah that's i mean that's a great observation and it, uh, i would um i would say probably yes because if you think about ptsd alcohol and substance use and broadline personality mm-hmm. disorder you're going to have um, a whole bunch of these you know themes that are going to group together and, and so clinically that would make sense now um although i haven't uh, published this um i've just done some preliminary kind of um
1: Hot off the press, people! Hot off the uh, press.
2: <laughs> on the I um, just on did it. On uh, the factor structure using. Um,
1: he just the, ran another another model while we we're doing a podcast. That's yeah, just,
2: just on the fly. <laughs> Let me um, ask the computer. Uh, and we found um, we found uh, the first factor um, was kind of you know concerned with external locus of control, failure, vulnerability to harm, negativity dependence and then another factor which was um, around attachment which is your you know that domain structure that's you know consistent um, you know abandonment, effectiveness, social isolation, mistrust and emotional deprivation and the third one we found over control so we looked at this um, and that being punitiveness to self, emotional constriction, unrelenting standards. All so self-directed and shame-based.
1: So, so there's stuff really like um, it's about attachment, mm. which is like connection. Yep. And then it's like uh, I might be getting this wrong. Like it's 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 almost like me in the world. Like uh, uh, how how dangerous is the world? Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yes. And, and that's a sort of underdeveloped self type of. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. Me in the world. Am I competent uh,
0: in the world or can I cope in the world?
2: Yes, and then the third
1: one was. I want to I want to say that this regulation one last. What was the third one?
2: Oh, so I'm I'm talking about now the the one that I've just done on my most recent. uh, Oh, you mean the one you just did just a second? Okay, yeah, just (laughs) a
1: second. So what was the third one in there? Um, The third one was around over control. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So then there's that's almost like a coping element, like so. Now, yeah.
2: Yeah, so self-directed, shame-based, you know, and there's literature, you know, radically open DBT yeah. and things to help with this kind of thing because, you you know, restrictive, um, you know, anorexic presentations and things like that.
1: And the fourth one is?
2: fourth one is underdeveloped self. Oh, okay. Okay, and that's subjugation, self-sacrifice, approval-seeking enmeshment.
1: So you've done away with this dysregulation this,
2: this idea? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it just wasn't coming up in the same kind of way. Um, but there is a fifth factor. So I know the most recent sort of literature is highlighting a four-domain mm, mm. um, uh, structure, but, you know, in these preliminary studies I found five was actually the most appropriate. So the fifth one is um, about under control, so entitlement.
1: But that would make sense. That would make perfect sense. Let's hope the data makes sense. Yeah. So well, yeah.
0: clinically, like how do you sort of see this as important? Like, you know, in terms of is it I means so are we are we, like, are we are we matter? Are we we like total schema nerds that are talking about stuff that
2: doesn't maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, maybe does it matter? <laughs> Does it's matter yeah, that's, um, <laughs> that's well, good Rob that's great <laughs> well I guess um I guess if you're trying to capture more broad things around yeah. um, around things then yes um
0: you know I, I'm thinking it might uh, matter in terms of needs like it might be sort of kind of you know I'm assuming each of those factors and those sort of overarching mm-hmm. concepts would have different need kind of, portfolio, so you might be more aware of that when you're doing things like limited reparenting or mm. conceptualising the client. I don't, I don't know. Do you, is that, am I off? Yeah, I mean, that's, I've
1: mean, i got to that, admit, I never found it mattered. Like when it, when you look at the questionnaire, you look for those schemas, like you're trying to hone in mm-hmm. more than you're trying to pan out.
2: Mm. So yeah. maybe, maybe in a research sense, it might be helpful, um, yeah. but maybe less sense in a clin- clinical, mm-hmm. um, you know, utility uh, situation.
0: So look, it seems like we we you know obviously um, are quite uh, excited about the 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 questionnaire itself, and I'm assuming we can um, share this with our listeners. Can we? Is it okay for us to use it clinically? How's it? Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, It's at the moment it it is freely available from the actual article. the ad, you can download it from the supplementary materials, so you can get the yeah, wise sure. QR, right. and then also there's an Excel scorer. Yeah, well
0: and, and we and we might so try that. and get it onto the show notes as well, so people can access it that way as well, just to get it get it out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy happy to. Um, but you, you know, it. and
1: but based on 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 what I've read and and you know talking to you, Oz, I think um you'll find this measure gets more and more usage, and we might make it the more standard thing now in the training going forward, but that kind of thing. What do you think, Chris?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's um it's important to kind of have things that are sort of uh, well, I think the key thing is that it's it's some evidence based but it's also the shorter form, which is yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. One thing that I am interested... I don't know if you've seen uh, Oz but there has been some recent um, material come out with new schemas and a new sort of model of schema therapy mm-hmm. with a couple of new schemas in that in that. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Um yes. yeah, yeah, I guess I guess it sounds like you know th- there are there's scope for more kind of constructs to come into the, you know, mm. busting above the 18. Because the we're and... at
1: 20 now, right? This yeah. Is, the well, basically is sees become yeah. the 20 model yeah. if we take this seriously.
0: Mm.
2: Um, the, look, I can't say a huge amount about that because um, it's kind of like not where my research is, um, yeah. you know, is centred around. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I've no doubt that there would be other things and other schemas mm. uh, that mm. would emerge over time. Um, mm. you know, in terms of this uh, uh, this justice sort of schema, yeah. you know, the world is a, an unfair place. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's clinically relevant and important. I think this probably just needs to be a little bit more mm. uh, done on it. But, yeah. but what, I, what I can tell you about, though, is um, the research, the next paper that I'm doing, which I'm almost finished and about to submit, is, how, is the these... Um, construct and predictive validity of each of these different versions. So I've basically got the YSQR, the short form, long form, and compared them all. Like a
1: versus like a head-to-head.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like Street Fighter. See how well um, (laughs) WWF. You can see them in the ring despite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um so rash can do this really cool thing. Uh, called test equating, and what it does is it gets a common metric across um, each of the different versions so that you can compare them in a valid way. And so that's what we did first, and then uh, we looked at how well they could predict psychopathology scores in different clinical groups. So um, we found some pretty cool and interesting stuff. So in this, like, for example, the schema group with lots of BPD, um, we found that the YSQR was a better, a better predictor um, of... Change so actually YSQ change pre and post yeah and SCL ninety change for the global severity index Mm -hmm. the uh, YSQR was better at predicting change wow so that
1: says something that's a different thing isn't it that that shows Mm. it's the utility it's got it's got more clinical utility it's more sensitive to the kind of changes that we're looking for in therapy. Yes, yeah, Mm. yeah, Mm.
2: incredibly so. And, you know, interestingly, failure was the biggest independent predictor across all of them, and Mm. um, the YSQR had the biggest, um, uh, you know, variance. So
1: you've gotten Um, rid of, like, you used the full 232 items, you got rid of items that weren't working, items mm. that weren't too good, that were inefficient, and you ended up with half the items. Mm -hmm. Did you construct any new items? No. Okay.
2: No. All right. No, so we I just think-
1: ended up with with the most efficient, hopefully valid version of the YSQ.
2: Yes, yes, that's that was our aim, and I feel like we're, uh, I feel like we're we're pretty much there. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, um, I do have some other sub subgroups that are. I've done the predictive capacity across each of those PTSD, alcohol, substance use, and you know the YSQ uh, is um, yeah is is fairing up as a much Better clinical tool um, in terms of prediction. Well,
1: we're going to include that in the footnote for this yeah. podcast. For you know, for our listeners, um, we'll, we'll include a copy that you've uh, you've already put it out there, Oz, on like Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got all that. We'll share that. I'm sure folks would like to have a look at the measure. Mm. Um, they've, they've got the research, and uh, they can make their own decision, but um, it's looking great. Oz, fantastic yeah. work, mate. Fantastic work.
2: Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> you know,
1: I know um, yeah. we've got here for an hour and we're talking about it and stuff, uh, but, you know, so many countless hours goes into these things. It and, does. It you know, does. Understanding yeah, nice. the stats and stuff, it, it takes countless hours and stuff. So well oh, look, well
0: think, I, I've think i got a maximum respect for people that yeah do research in schema and, and anything to do with this. So it's very much appreciated from the schema community. And that said, I mean, going forward as well, we, we'd like to hear from other researchers that are out there that want to sort of maybe get on the show and have a chat. And you're welcome to drop us an email if you want. But, um, Oz, it's been really nice having you. And it's weird that you're only five hundred meters away from my office, but we'll have to have coffee or a beer after this.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's long- only it's
0: only ten o'clock, so maybe a coffee. coffee, <laughs> coffee.
2: How long, Oz, until you finish your PhD? Um, I'm hoping to wrap it up in you know by the end of April, May. So yeah, so pretty close.
1: Awesome. Yeah, pretty yeah, close. yeah. I think I think a PhD is a sort of um, will heal any sort of insufficient uh, self-discipline schema, uh, which is of exercise in sticking at something.
2: Yeah, yeah so I, I think it's madness. But anyway. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, we'll talk to you
1: in a year, mate, and you'll be feeling better about it. Yes, indeed.
2: <laughs> well, Thanks look, so ha- much for having me on. I really, really uh, am grateful. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been great questions and uh, it's been really great to chat with you guys. As are we, Oz, I think yeah.
1: so much work goes into this kind of thing. We really want to um, have a way of sharing it with everyone and, and getting people to talk about it and, and using this stuff. You know, how many people do research, myself included, and no one uses it? Yeah. yeah, so, mm.
2: yeah. Mm.
0: so I hope you enjoyed today. And uh, if you're interested in training in schema therapy, we've got um, com. lots of different... Um, you know, online pre-recorded live training uh, uh, online. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up in the next couple of months. So you might want to have a look at our website. Um, Rob and me and some other awesome um, presenters are there too. We've also got a book coming you out. I mean the
1: other ones are awesome, not necessarily. Well, no, I was thinking,
0: for... more, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, we're all <laughs> awesome. Everyone's awesome. Yeah. So look, if you're interested in that, look, check out online if you're interested in that. Feel free. Yep.
1: Including the run. conference. We've got a conference coming yeah. up.
0: Yeah. yeah. So we've got a conference yep. coming up uh, April 9th. Uh, yep. And it's International one day. conference, one day. Yep. And we have a bespoke pre-selected group of people that it's a really lovely day. So it's not one of these things where it's a conference where it's, you know, you know five days and it's uh, overwhelming. We've got sort of yep. five, six presenters that are going to be able to present and then it's all be recorded too. So you want to check out that too. Oh, there you go, guys. I hope you've uh, enjoyed today. hope the listener has enjoyed today. And um, we'll see you guys very soon. See you around. See you around, Oz. See
2: you, guys. Thanks so much. Bye.